song. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Good to be back after our trip down to Pepperdine and then to the East Coast for a little family vacation. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to Mark 14. Mark chapter 14. We want to read verses 1 through 31 as we begin our lesson this morning. Hear now the word of the true and living God. It was now two days before the Passover and the unleavened and the feast of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table. A woman came with an alabaster flask to anoint uh, of, of ointment to a pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. As they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took the cup, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, 
will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But, I, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to them, uh, said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. Let us pray. Show us your glory this morning, Lord. Show us who you are, that we might have an accurate account of who we are before you. Knowing who we are, knowing who you are, will enable us to live life in this world for your glory and for glory one day. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mark chapters 14 through 16, they're, they're really a unit taken as a unit it's the conclusion of the book with the uh, crescendo of the book coming at the beginning of this chapter with the final good thing that is done for Jesus with this uh, woman anointing him it is not performed of course by the Romans it's not performed by the Jews it's not even performed by his disciples or apostles it is performed by this woman which would have been scandalous in that context uh, we've talked uh, before about how in this society, women were treated as objects, they were treated as property, and they were looked down upon. And yet Jesus, in his life and in his ministry, is working to elevate women. We see this again and again. He had a, an entourage of ladies who would help him in his ministry. Luke records this in Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And so, again, this would have been scandalous. His opponents would have no doubt jumped on this as a discreditable offense against Jesus, against his ministry, and yet this is typical of the life and ministry of Jesus, where he is regularly doing things that scandalize him, touching a leper, forgiving sins, healing a man with a shriveled hand, confrontation of the religious elites, triumphal entry itself, all of these things, now including the anointing by the woman, when viewed from the wrong perspective, and that's what Jesus has been confronting all along the way in Mark's gospel, these are scandalous, these are offensive. As we come to the beginning of Mark's gospel, one of the things that impresses me is, once again, we see the overarching rule of God overruling and governing the affairs of people. You notice that the scribes and the chief priests were seeking to arrest Jesus by stealth. They wanted this to be a private thing. And also they said, not during the feast. They didn't want to cause an uproar. And yet both of those things are undone by God. The, the uh, crucifixion of Jesus is out in public. And it was during the feast. Jesus fulfilling all of the types and shadows, all of the prophecy, the whole Levitical sacrificial system. That whole system is prophetic, and Jesus fulfills all of it. And so the, the very plans of these opponents of Jesus are turned upside down, turned on their heads, and God is accomplishing his will 
in the redemption of humanity in this. Once again, we are shown that while the plans and the counsels of the people come to nothing and are frustrated, the counsel and plans of God are fulfilled perfectly and always. The account here of the woman anointing Jesus is itself, it could be an entire sermon on its own. I I merely pointed out to show that it is, again, this is the crescendo, this is the high point, and from here it will be a downward spiral into sorrow as Christ will inevitably go to the cross. But just before that, just before things start to wind down, as it were, and Jesus knows that's happening, we see this little glimmer of hope. This woman who does a uh, beautiful thing, as Jesus describes it in verse 6. She has done a beautiful thing to me. All others are focused on the waste. Why this waste? Jesus sees the spirit of the woman who is bringing it to him, who is doing it to him, and it is a beautiful thing. I don't know everything that's going on in verse 9 there, where wherever the gospel goes, what she has done will be told in memory of her. It does seem that the good thing that she has done has gone out with the gospel message. Mark records it. Matthew records it. uh, Luke records it. And so this beautiful thing still continues with the gospel. And I want to also emphasize here, she has done what she could. Father time is undefeated. Every last one of us, unless the Lord returns, we grow old, our bodies give out. The service we used to render when we were younger, we don't have the energy to do it as we used to. Ministries, Works of service that we once engaged in, we are no longer able to. Our bodies just not, they just don't allow us to. I've sat with not a few Christians who have lamented, I wish I could do more. And my mind usually comes back to this account here in Mark's gospel, and I share it with my brothers and sisters as I share it with you. She has done what she could. Do what you can and allow the Lord to work through what you can do. I want our attention to focus on the, the verses that we read at the conclusion of this section. Verses 27 through 31. I want to spend most of our time here this morning. I mean, there's a lot that can be said about the Lord's Supper itself. I will not drink it again until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. I, I, I have to remark on that, I guess, because in a few minutes we're going to sit at table with Jesus. Do you realize your Lord longs to eat his supper with you every week? He desires to do that. We meet him at the table. He is the host. Yes, someone will come up here, whether it's Buddy or one uh, one of the other gentlemen, one of the other brothers here, will get up and, and share some words and direct our thoughts to that. But understand that in back of them, the Lord of hosts is the host of his table. And he eats with us, and he wants to. And yet, you have these verses here, verses 27 through 31, and they are some of the saddest verses in all of this. I have to say that Jesus is constantly focused on the Word of God. Just in the the text that we read this morning, verse 21, the Son of Man goes, as it is written of him. 
Verse 27, you will all fall away, for it is written. And then, uh, even as he is betrayed, uh, in verse 49, and being arrested day after day, verse 49, day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Jesus is focused and centered on the word of God. And it's a brilliant example for us. It is written. It is written. The scriptures must be fulfilled. We must have a word-centered perspective in all things. Our Lord Jesus did. Again and again, he is pointing people back to the word of God, and we must do a similar thing. And that is what we do this morning. Where do we begin? How about this? Look at verse 28. Jesus has just said, you will all fall away. Strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. And then he says in verse 28, and after I'm raised up, and after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is a clear, plain teaching of Jesus prophesying his own resurrection. I will be raised up. I'll meet you in Galilee. What is striking to me is that the disciples, they just missed it. They, they missed it completely. The comfort, the blessing of the comfort in these words. I will be after I am raised up. And they just it, it just goes over their head. Instead, they focus on Peter, fall away, not me. Isn't that what we do? So often we're like Peter and, and we miss the comfort and the blessing that come. They, they miss this glorious truth that Jesus will be resurrected. Instead, they, they focus on something else, and they miss the glorious truths that are in these words. And so, when Jesus is betrayed, they fled. And as he is crucified, they hid. And even when he rose from the dead on the third day, some doubted. Now, it's not the first time that Jesus has predicted this. We've heard this in Mark's gospel. He's predicted it several times earlier, that he would rise from the dead. Yes, he would be crucified. He would be struck. He would be, he would be beaten. He would, he would be killed. But he would be raised up. He would be resurrected. But it never got past their ears to their hearts. And so they, they missed blessings because of, what shall we call it, careless inattention? And how true it is for all of us that we are prone to that same careless inattention. I think that may be the curse of our human nature. The curse of the flesh. We read our Bibles with regularity. But we don't remember what we've read. Again, I've, I've sat with Christians, that, and that's a, that's a common thing. Well, yeah, I, I read my Bible all the time, but it just, it just goes in and out. I just I can't keep it in there. You ever been there? Our minds, they might as well be sieves, leaky buckets, from which the water of divine truth trickles out and is lost. Or, or maybe we hear words of, of wisdom and encouragement in sermons and in Bible class and and then we live our lives as if we've heard none of that teaching. 
And then when, when the hour of trial comes, and that's the context for these words, the trial is right there just hours away. And when the hour of trial comes, we're caught flat-footed, unprepared, unarmed for the battle, the spiritual warfare that's being waged. And only when the trial is darkest does the Lord mercifully grant remembrance. Those texts that we read, those words of wisdom and encouragement, those truths from God's word that we'd only heard maybe half-heartedly without the, the careful attention and thought that they needed. We remember, oh, we, uh, yeah, I, I read that. Oh, I have heard that before. And we are ashamed because those words didn't make the impression on our hearts as they ought to have. Sometimes folks come up after the sermon, and I've, I've had uh, brothers and sisters say, well, you know, just does it get you down that no one answered the invitation? The answer is no. No, what, whether anyone comes forward during the invitation or not, I, I, I am not discouraged. In fact, I have confidence that God's word will accomplish all that God intends. And here's the other thing I know. I know that no one ever spoke the way Jesus did. And yet his words were unheeded. I know that the disciple is not greater than the master as well. And still, I have confidence that the truths that maybe at first they seemed neglected, they were only half heard, we were careless in our inattention. I know that those truths, those, those words from God's word will bear fruit in due season. And so, yes, we are, we are prone to that careless inattention, just as the apostles were. And, and I think this maybe bleeds into the second aspect here, which is that the disciples, disciples are prone to self-confidence. Notice they miss the glorious truth of the resurrection, and it comes right back to me, I, my. The hearts of these disciples consumed with self-confidence. Peter speaks up in verse 29. Even though all fall away, I will not. Not me. Ride or die, Jesus. Even if I have to die. Right? Verse 31. I will not deny you. He's not alone in this. Did you catch it? Verse 31. They all said the same thing. Thomas is over there saying, I'm with you, Jesus. John, amen, Peter. Thaddeus is saying, Let's do it. Who do I got to kill? Right? That same self-confidence. What was the result of all that bravado? All of that uh, uh, chest pumping and all that heat. Not a lot of light. In only a few hours, all the disciples will forsake Jesus. They will be running for their lives. In just a few hours... Peter will fulfill this dark oracle from Jesus, and that's what it is. When he says that the, this very night, tonight, Peter, the rooster will crow twice, but you will have denied me three times. In just a few short hours, Peter will fulfill that, and he will deny Jesus three times. In less than 12 hours, the one that they said will die for you is the one who will die on the cross. And where are they? Hiding in fear. All the prideful, confident assertions 
are now forgotten. A, a, a distant echo of a faint memory. Lest we be too hard on these disciples, I think we should remember that we do not know how we will act in any particular circumstance or situation. We don't know. And therefore, we must walk humbly. We never know how far we can fall once temptation presents itself. This is why we need to hear the words of Jesus. Why we need to stay awake. He says this in chapter 13. He's going to repeat it to them in in the following verses here. Stay awake. Keep watch. Pray. Pray that you may not fall into temptation. You see, the flesh is weak. The seeds of wickedness are in every single human heart. It's there. Even in the hearts of professing Christians, those seeds are there. Why we need to take serious the warning of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. We've been warned. We see the pattern. So what shall we do? Keep reading into verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What is it Paul says there? He doesn't say, you know, strap on your bootstraps and, and, and knuckle down and bear hard. And No, he says God is faithful. <laughs> God is faithful. And if we would stand, it must be that we stand in God's grace. Romans 5 and verse 2. If we would stand, it is only because we have been strengthened by His grace. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1. To trust in ourselves would be folly. To think we can do this by the, the method of uh, the bootstrap method of self-effort and commandment keeping, to think we can do it ourselves is folly. But we need to know that if we are faithless, He remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13 tells us. It's a bleak picture. Prone to careless inattention. Prone to self-confidence. But the other thing that stands out here is <laughs> Jesus knows. Jesus even foreknows all of this. He foreknows his disciples he knows our weaknesses, and He knows our failures, and He knows them perfectly well. He even knows it in advance. The weakness and the shortcomings of His disciples, He tells them plainly, verse 27, you, not may, perhaps, if certain conditions attain, you will all fall away. If they don't, by the way, Scripture itself is undone. The scriptures are broken. Why? Because Jesus says, for, let me tell you why, it is written. I, that's God talking, by the way, I will strike the shepherd, Jesus. The sheep will be scattered. We have inter-Trinitarian action going on here. It was the will of Yahweh to crush his servant. But through that, in order to, to count many righteous, this is Isaiah 53 as well, but then you also have the declaration, the sheep will be scattered. You will all fall away. It is to fulfill Scripture. And then Jesus goes even further, and he says to Peter that this very night, 
Tonight is the night, Peter. You will deny me three times. Peter, again, he's, he's shocked. No doubt like we would be by his future sin. Right? Because that's what it is. He hasn't committed this sin yet. And yet it's coming down the line. And Jesus foreknows it perfectly. Sin yet to be committed and yet predicted by the Lord. And of course, we've already seen he doubles down. I'll die if I have to. These are yet future grievous sins of the disciples of Christ. And Jesus perfectly knows and even foreknows this. He knows it in advance that this will take place by his own disciples. He knows their great fall before it happens. And our Lord still chose these 12 men. He still chose these 12 disciples to be his apostles. More than that, Jesus chose and called these men to be friends, even though they would all fall away. He granted them access to his presence. He granted them the privilege of seeing his form, of of hearing his voice, of of touching him and and beholding him, eating and and drinking with him. He, He granted them access into his very fellowship, even though he knew they would all deny him. He foresaw their lack of faith. And he still chose them. He still chose them. And that is a remarkable truth that every last one of us ought to take down, take note of, store it up where we keep sacred truth. We, like these disciples, we believers are imperfect. We are fallen. We fail. We are just like these disciples. We are prone to the careless inattention. We are prone to the self-confidence. But Jesus does not cast away his people. He knows us perfectly well. And he knows, by the way, not only what we have done in the past, yes, he even knows what we will do in the future. He knows we will fall short. He knows that we are sinners, not just sinners who have sinned, but sinners who will sin. And yet, despite all of our shortcomings, past, present, and future, you ready? Jesus still chose us. And he chooses us. And he will always choose us. And he has granted us all the blessings and the privileges that go along with being his. Christ takes his bride to himself with all of our blemishes, with all of our failures, And he washes us by his word. And he joins us to himself. We are united with Christ. And he will never cast us away. So that one day he will present us holy and without blemish before him in glory. I mean, think about it. Jesus knew what you were before your conversion. What is it we sing? Guilty, vile. Helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. We were. We were were guilty, vile, helpless sinners. But he still loved us. And he still gave himself for us on the cross. 
And then Jesus also knows what we are, what you are after your conversion. He knows you are still prone to wander, still weak and feeble as frail, children of dust. We still battle the flesh, but he still loves us. And he is still our merciful, great high priest who applies his blood, covers our sins with his blood. Why, in Hebrews 7, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He is able to save completely, save forever those who draw near to God through him. And again, it is a truth that we must learn well. Christ knows you perfectly. Knows in advance all of your weaknesses, all of your sins, your lack of faith. And he still chose you, saved you, washed you, sanctified you, and he will bring you home to glory. What's our responsibility to him? Briefly, Galatians chapter 5. And let's notice verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, the, the flesh, that's the problem. That's what we've been talking about this morning. Our inclination toward the careless inattention and the self-confidence and all that. That's the problem. The picture is that of walking. We walk with the Lord. And that, that is our responsibility. It is, it is a, an ongoing thing, a, a present tense thing. We continue to walk with him. It is a, an active thing. We're the, no one else can walk your walk. Gary can't walk for me, and I can't walk for Gary. Gary's got to walk his walk. I walk mine. We walk. And it's an imperative. It's, we are commanded to do this. But don't, don't, don't think for a moment that you are doing this on your own power. The power's in the verse. Walk by the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God who enables us, who strengthens our feeble knees, strengthens our feeble arms to do the things that God would have us to do. To do what we can do to the glory of God the Father. In just a few short hours, it will be the darkest moment in all of human history. When God the Son is laid on the cross, cold steel is pounded into his hands, into his feet, and he is raised up on the cross to die for sinners. And yet in that darkest moment, The gospel is being accomplished. As God the Son offers himself to God the Father through God the Holy Spirit for the redemption of sinners. It will also be the darkest moment for these disciples. And Jesus knew it perfectly well in advance. And Jesus knows all about our struggles. He knows the trouble, trials, 
temptations, tribulation that we face. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our failures. And he still went to the cross for each one of us. Herein is the good news, brothers and sisters. We continue to walk. And by that we stay awake and we watch and we pray. We do it with all of the power that he supplies us by his spirit within us. We still battle the flesh and the world and the devil and all that. Father, our Lord, and the Spirit walk with us. Let us pray. We, <coughs> we Father, want to do beautiful things for Jesus. And yet, we are reminded of our own fallenness, our own brokenness. We still battle the, sh the flesh, that we still give in to temptation more than we'd like to admit. Help us, Father, by your Spirit within us. And enable us to do what we can for Jesus and for your glory. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.